0: All right, sermon time, let's dive in. This morning we are starting a new sermon series entitled, People Together with God, Igniting the Witness of the Church. Um, We're gonna be looking at the whole Bible this morning. So I hope you have like three hours because this is a long book, so. Um, Lutheran seminary professor, Andrew Root, he spoke of recognizing God's presence in the world and a very interesting example um, of, maybe you've heard of it, the famous uh, invisible gorilla experiment. I put my wife up to it this morning and some people here in the, in the uh, welcome center this morning. It's on YouTube if you look at it, but I'll ruin it for you, kind of ruin it for you. Um, in this experiment done in the late 90s, uh, there's a group of people, uh, four, four or five people, and one are wearing white shirts, one are wearing black shirts, and they're tossing a basketball between the white shirts, between the white shirts, the black shirts, between the black shirts. And the task is to count how many times the white shirts tossed the basketball. Not the black ones, just the white shirts. And so as they toss the basketball back and forth, you have to count. And um, the video, you know, it ends, it says they tossed the ball so many times, whatever it was. And then it says, but did you see the gorilla walk in the middle of?" The whole all the action i saw it because i knew about the, the um the experiment alexandra did not 50 percent of people see it 50 per p- people 50 of people do not in the middle of the balls being thrown a man wearing a, a, a black gorilla suit that matches the black shirt so it kind of blends in a little bit that's kind of the idea slowly walks in the middle of the balls being tossed back and forth kind of does this and slowly walks out and the whole idea is a lot of people just miss it. And then when you see it, you're like, how in the world did I miss that? Like, it was so obvious. This guy walked out so slow. Like, how did I miss it? And this was done by, like, a, I think a PhD student in psychology, like and he's saying, his whole point was saying, when you're so zoned in and focused on one thing, it's amazing that something so obvious is also right in front of your face, you will just completely miss. And he's right. Right, there's a couple of different examples of that experiment online. Now, Andrew Root he talks about this in one of his books that he wrote um, as an experiment, as an example of what another guy named Charles Taylor said that. As long as for humans, we've recorded history of human activity, okay, and in the course of Western uh, civilization up until just about the past 100 years, God in his presence in this world, whether it was completely wrong belief like the old pagans of old, at least humanity has sensed that there is a God or gods, the pagans, right, present. It was just assumed. It was never even really questioned throughout history, But yet today in the West, for the first time, really the first time in history, we have an entire civilization in our Western world that largely assumes the opposite. Could it be, these men are kind of arguing when they saw this experiment, right, that our modern civilization have, we have trained ourselves to watch you know, certain people or certain ideas or things. We honed in on those, those things, and secularism, you know, rises those ideas in front of our face, and they're tossing those balls back and forth. And then God is still present walking around that gorilla in the suit, if you will, but as a society, we simply trained ourselves to not pay any attention to him. But He's standing right in front of us. He's standing right among us, but we're trained to be focusing over here. And he's saying, hey, I'm right here, right in front of you. Now, to focus this on the church, because there's a society, it's a whole different sermon for a different day. It can happen inside of the church as well. And we want, if we want to maintain a genuine ministry, okay, that reflects the most basic of Christian teachings, that we believe in God, okay, there's one God and we believe in him. That's beginning of the Apostles' Creed. Okay, that's the very first kind of thing. God is real, and we believe in him. If we want to actually act and maintain that belief in our ministry as a church, then what happens in this church should reflect that belief that God is not just, we don't just believe in God, but we believe he's here, that he's present, that he cares, and that he loves you. And that means that the most basic core function of my job as a pastor is to remind you constantly, God is here. And because he's here, let's worship him together. And that is a crucial component of our witness as a church, according to Jesus, that it's not just me worshiping him or you worshiping him, but it's a group of people together worshiping God as we are being shaped in the likeness of God through our love for one another. And in our increasingly secular society, we need to open our eyes, open the eyes of the neighbors around us to recognize that God is also present in their lives, that he is also chasing after them. But to do this, we got to make sure that our eyes are continually open to his presence as well. So this sermon series is about this this twofold foundation of really the beliefs of church of Christianity, right? People together with God and this union between God and his people according to Jesus the witness of that union um, that goes out into the world, that witness is our love for one another. So, John 13, 35, will be hearing this often throughout the summer and late spring, early summer in the sermon series. John thirteen thirty five says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And here's the key verse. By this, all people will know What that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we're going to slowly unpack this over the oncoming weeks. Our witness of the gospel will be our love for one another. But as we will see this morning, we will only know how to love one another by being with God, by knowing God's presence among us and responding to his presence and and allowing him to fill us and to experience his love as a church as a people that's the only way we will learn how to love so this is an intro sermon. Intro sermons can be interesting and tricky, but we're going to try to do this and go through the whole of Scripture to see this idea of people together with God and how that's really, if you want to think about, like, one of the largest questions that, that our, our modern world is asking, if you just pay attention, I, I hate news, I have a very limited intake of it these days, but if you try to read in between the lines of modern conversations, we're losing the definition of what it means to be a human being. We're losing it. If you pay attention to that, we're we're losing the definition. But Christianity, for thousands of years, has been a witness of that definition of what it means to be a human being. And let's walk through that this morning. At the very beginning, Genesis 1 to the very early pages of our Bibles, we see that people were created to be together with God not just with you know not just separate with God but God was present with humanity after God created Adam the scriptures say that he he it wasn't good that he was alone he's like this is this isn't it right and if you know the doctrine of the trinity that god is three in one uh is is how fascinating and and confusing and and complex and supernatural that doctrine really is the idea is god is in community with himself like he is one but there's three there's almost like an eternal friendship union if you will within the godhead so when he creates humans he says i want you to know what i know you can't be alone, Adam, this isn't, this isn't good, no, 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 you need someone like you, and he creates Eve, and as the oldest joke in the book goes, he saw her and he says, whoa, man, woman, whoa, man, okay, sorry, sorry, really bad, I know, thank you, I don't know who did that, thank you, thank you, you're awake, good, you're awake, I'm glad to hear you're awake. So there's Adam, and there's Eve, and there's God, together with God, an unbroken fellowship, unbroken relationship. When we speak of human flourishing, that's it. Humanity together with God. No separation, right? Not you with God, not me with God, but together with God. That is human flourishing. And we know this because in Genesis 3, when sin entered the equation, when sin entered our story through the temptation of the serpent, the curses that came down just the effects of sin immediately caused relational brokenness. Adam and Eve were tempted with taking on that task that, that belonged to God only, that in faith they were to leave to God's hands, but they decided that they could do it themselves, which was taking their own moral code and in future into their own hands to say, I will decide what is good for me, not God. I will decide what is good and true and beautiful. And thus sin entered. And so let's look what happened right after they sinned. Okay, in Genesis 3 verse 8. And they heard after the sin, right? They were already hiding in bushes at this point. They ran away. They realized they were naked, and they were already hiding. So sin comes, boom. They're already separated. And verse 8, And they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They heard his footsteps, and they hid. Now, that should already like kind of crush us why would they feel the impulse to run from god and not to god because humanity was created to be with him you think of the heart how how broken god was to walk and to realize why aren't they running to me why are not they want to be with me why are they hiding from me and of course he knows before he even had to ask the questions to adam and eve That's sin's first result. It breaks you off from God. But it also breaks you off from one another, as we see as the story continues. Genesis 3, 9 through 13. Uh, But Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? As if he didn't know, right? But Adam, where are you? And he said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten? from the tree, which I commanded you not to eat. Here's Adam's chance to own it as his own sin. But sin is, when it surfaces in our lives, it breaks relationship in our lives because this is what Adam does. He immediately goes and he blames somebody else. Verse 12, he says, well, the woman that you gave to me, so he's actually not just owning, blaming himself on the woman. He's like, God, you, you gave her to me, so... Kind of your fault, right? It's pretty bold of Adam here, but he's like, It's the woman. You gave her to me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate. He shifts the blame. Boom. You got to think of for the rest of their marriage, he probably didn't hear that one down, didn't live that one down, right? Verse 13 God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? Now here's Eve's chance to own it, but not quite. The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Here's the picture I'm trying to paint for you this morning, is that we were created to be relational beings, just as God is in himself within the Godhead, within the Trinity, three in one. We were created to be with God and to be together, you and I, with God. But here, when sin enters, husband and wife already separated from each other, hiding from God. If you want a visual picture of sin, you got it but even more so death then enters the story and even more things happen because now they couldn't be with god so what does god do genesis 3:23-24 therefore god sent him out of the garden of eden where god was god's place adam and eve were sent out He worked the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. The fancy word for this is exile. They were exiled from God's presence. They were sent in exile from him, and now in their own relationship, they're bearing the scars of their sin and just even the exchanges that they just have with one another. They're walking out in relational brokenness and now separated from God. But Isaiah 59 said it this way, verses one through two. He says, Behold, Yahweh's hand, Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or its ear dull that it cannot hear, but... Know this, right, is what he says. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So to go back here, at the foundational core, we're looking at humans need God. And humans need one another. It's part of our design. You guys with me so far? So the curse of sin has left humans separate from God, recognized, even today, this is, this is still present within every single human that is born. There's an emptiness in us all, emptiness in all of us, that only something, if we're honest with ourselves, only something eternal could possibly fill. Now, we all enjoy a good movie, right? Well, imagine that, you know, a movie comes out, And it gained a reputation for being the greatest movie ever made. That already happened, it was Rocky, 1977, just so you guys didn't know. And after it was released, Hollywood was like, Hollywood was said, man, they did it. Like they made the best movie. And everyone who watches it will say, I am totally satisfied. I don't need to watch another movie ever again. And Hollywood is like, they're shutting us down. Everybody's satisfied, sorry, and we're done. We laugh because, of course, that would never happen because art is actually a prime example of that eternal longing to not just be entertained but to engross ourselves in complicated stories as a part of how we search for meaning and longing today and one movie or one book or one story after another, it it never fully satisfies that because we are still looking, we are still longing, we're still searching for meaning in our lives until the day we Die. Uh, the preacher of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, he said it this way in 3 verse 11, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, but also he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find what God has done from beginning to end. C.S. Lewis said it this way he says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for a different world. I want to modify C.S. Lewis's quote, if I could be so bold, and say that another logical example or explanation could be that perhaps something is missing from this world, something that used to be here, but we've been separated from. Imagine a car It has a hood in place and everything, you open up the hood, there's just no engine. It's like, it's obvious, there's a big square empty hole here, but it's missing. Or you go into a kitchen, there's a big gap where the oven should be. There's a kitchen, there's an obvious missing element here, and it's the oven. That's humanity with our longings. We're here, but there's something missing because I'm still thirsting for something. I'm still hungry. I'm still longing for something, but I can't find exactly what to fill it with. And I'm just going to empty things one after another, finding it, but nothing seems to fill it. What am I looking for? And the answer is something eternal. God himself. And there's good news there. We'll get to that here in a moment. The second way sin affects us um, in our relationships is between one another as human beings. Chapter 4 in Genesis, right after the fall, right after they're exiled from from, uh, God's presence, guess what happens? You have Cain and Abel. Their story is recorded directly after, right after the fall. And that relationship, as you know, probably, it led to murder. Cain gets jealous. kills his brother Abel. That's sin. That's death as a result from sin. That's murder, jealousy, relational strife. You see that Moses who wrote Genesis is trying to show us this this is sin, guys. It, It breaks people apart. The first time that brothers existed, they're killing each other. The relationship that should be peaceful and loving and harmonious Right? Let's take more summaries. I don't have to sit here and give you examples in, in, in Scripture or in history of wars and relational brokenness. If you have skin and bones, you've been exposed to relational brokenness. Whether it's in your marriage or friendships or family unit or school or work or whatever it might be, you've seen friendships go bad, ones that you didn't ever expect that go bad, You've seen marriages, whether your parents or whether others, that you just didn't expect it to go bad, but it did because of this broken world. We all have experienced this to some degree. Broken friendships, unfortunately, is simply a part of what it means to be alive in this fallen world. But what did God do? Did he just say, uh, you know, sorry, I'm out of here. Go and figure it out. no. But what he did was actually really unexpected. If you're familiar with it, I hope to present it to you once more is very unexpected. As we continued living in exile from God, God came down to us, right? I mean, he did this multiple times in the Old Testament in the cloud of, of fire that boomed from the mountaintop of Sinai that literally shook the mountain and left Israel just in fear of God. We have the burning bush when God's speaking through the burning bush and we have all these different kinds of examples of God coming but when he came as a baby boy, as a human being, it was unexpected because there's nothing frightening about a baby because we've all seen babies. They're, They're humble, they're needy, they're lowly and God became man. The fancy word for this is incarnation. God became man. He became God incarnate. And he did so to reconcile us back to himself. Jesus, as he walked this earth, he was was found constantly with people. Over and over again, his ministry was marked by being with people. Little, very little. Jesus' ministry did we see take place in a synagogue or like in like a religious establishment? He's there, you know, here or there, you know, no doubt. But rather, most of his time was spent out and about with people, teaching crowds, touching lepers, and healing them. The power of God manifesting around him, and every time he was with a group of people out there, amazing things occurred. One of my favorite stories is found in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus calls Levi a tax collector who the community did not like because it was known the tax collectors didn't just collect taxes, but they had permission to collect some more for themselves. Not just a little more, like a lot more. And everybody knew it and nobody could do anything about it. And Jesus called that guy. Now you already see the compassion of Jesus to pursue somebody like that. But of all the people for Jesus to pursue, he chooses him. And what happens in Mark 2.15? Before we know it, Jesus is in Levi's house. And it's not just Levi. It says, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. I'm not quite sure if this is some Bible study. It sounds like they were just hanging out, probably having some laughter, probably just sharing, you know, burdens and just talking. And Jesus was befriending them. For there were many who followed him. In this, Jesus communicated and revealed in his ministry everything about God to his disciples. Jesus shared all of himself with his disciples. I mean, it's it's hard to to know how to state that. Like The God who became man, through his humanity and his deity, he shares all of himself with his disciples. Night and day for three years that he spent with them. Now, the original temptation was that Adam and Eve thought that by God keeping the tree of, you know, the knowledge of good and evil for, from humanity, that God was keeping himself from humanity. The temptation was, if you really wanna be like God, take it from him, because he's, he's not gonna give you all of himself. If you wanna improve your own life, take it from him. Take something that belongs to him. He's not gonna give it to you. He's holding himself back, but you can take it. That was the temptation, right? And it proved to be one of failure because they forgot that Adam and Eve forgot they weren't God themselves, but offspring from God. They were created by God, and thus they were separated. But now we see Jesus. He's sharing everything with his people. He's sharing all of God with his people. He's together again with humanity. John 15 There's an amazing thing when at the Last Supper before his death, this is what he says in John 15, 12 through 15. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Friends. For all that I have, I have heard from my Father, and I have made known to you. I want to slow down here. There's a lot that just happened there. Slow down. Pay attention to these words. Jesus says, first he commanded, he said, love each other. Love one another just like I have loved you. How has he loved them? He said, well, this is true love. Let me, let me show you true love. I want to lay down my life for you. That's because you're my friend. That's a really different definition of friendship if you want to be honest than what our modern culture presents friendship as we'll talk about that in a second here but jesus called them friends and he said i want to lay down my life for you that's that's how you are to love each other verse three and he says this is how you know that i'm your friend that everything god has told me everything that he has shared with me i have given to you i have told you everything And this friendship, he says, is maintained as the disciples live as Jesus lived, keeping his commandments. If you embody the life of Christ, you will learn what it means to be his child and to be his friend, and you will receive more and more and more of him as you walk in his ways. And Jesus says, but guys, I'm leaving soon. After I'm going to die, I'll be raised, and then I'm going away. You can't come where I am going, but it's a good thing that I leave. Because God's about to just lavish his presence on you in a way that you don't have right now when I'm physically with you. So it's really good that I leave because you need his presence lavished on you. This is how he phrases it in John 16. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And here's the key verse here. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. By Jesus hanging there on the cross, receiving the divine punishment that he did not deserve for our sin, in that one act, he declared and showed us the love of God. The Holy Spirit is now here for those who believe, filling you and constantly reminding you, I'm with you. I love you. My presence is here. I cannot be separated from you. And I want you to know my love, that I'm lavishing on you, that you may share it, With those around you who are in need of it hey you see that person over there and that pew over there they need to know that i love them and they need to hear it from you they need to know it through you this is a summary of the christian life friends perhaps even now as i'm saying this the spirit of god is moving in this room guiding you after we're done here to maybe get up and go pray and minister to somebody to tell them that very truth this morning On the back end of our sermon here, the good news of Christianity is this, that God sent his son to the world to die the death that we deserve, to forgive us of our sins, to then reconcile us back to God, be raised to newness of life in order that he may give us a new heart with new flesh by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit and continually fill that eternal thirst with the living waters. Even now, just as Christ was crying out in John 7, he is still crying out saying, are you thirsty? You're not going to find any other water that quenches it. you got to come to me. If you come to me, if you believe in me, there's going to be waters that flow that will quench that thirst. Living waters. And it's not just for you, it's for those around you. And so in summary here, what I'm saying is this. This is where the power of the church's witness lies. We've come a long way this morning from Adam and Eve being separated from God and went to one another, and now Jesus is with them, and now the Holy Spirit is within us. God cannot get any closer, right? But the power of the church's witness is in you embodying his presence and his love to those around you in this room. Then the world will see and they will say, wow, look at that love. What is that coming from? Look at those people and how they love each other. Listen to John 13, the new commandment I give you. One more time, that, we, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Here's the witness piece. By this love being shared amongst you, people together with God, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the witness of The church now guys if we say yes we believe that pastor daniel great we believe that okay we believe that he poured himself out to us we believe that he gave us his holy spirit he's opened up a door for humanity to return from exile to be with god again right we know all of that are we sharing our lives together in this room as jesus shared his with us if we are that's the power of our witness that's the power We're gonna talk a lot about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. That's the power of the church as we share and speak it, as it manifests among us. That's the power of the church according to Jesus, our love for one another. Is that present here? Love within friendship turns out to be, as we saw, far more deep and complex than we often consider, right? Um, Jesus saying, I'm your friend because I'm dying for you. I mean, I have friends you know, like I, I know one of the baristas at a local coffee shop. Is that my friend? According to Jesus, it's an acquaintance perhaps, but according to Jesus, a friend is giving themselves up for the other. That's an intense definition of friendship. Do you understand? And I want you to, to understand um, you know, you may, we don't have friends in our lives often. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get real with you for a second here. You're probably sitting here, if, I'm just, if you're the average modern person, you don't have a lot of friends in life. You may have a lot of friends, but not like actual friends that you can call and be like, I have a burden that's too great. I need you to pick it up for me. I have nothing. I need to bear my soul with you. Chances are you might have one, if you're lucky, one person in your life that you can do that with. But chances are, statistically, if it's true, most of you in this room don't quite have that. Because we live an epidemic of loneliness to where we have lost the ability for this out of various reasons. But Jesus says, no, that's the power of the witness of the church actually, when that's found among you. So church, we need to learn to cultivate this together. We need to learn to, to, to cultivate this here. Listen to 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And what does he say? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, that is, fellow believers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in his heart? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you understand where I'm getting at this morning? The community of Emmanuel Church should be full of people willing to do this for each other, to share our lives with each other, to take on each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2, to share with any who may be in need like the early church did in one another, Acts chapter 2. Friends, the ideas of the church is that this is a community of people, spirit-filled, spirit-led, being the balm of the gospel in the world fraught with the scabs and wounds of sin. As we close this morning, I want to um, call the worship team to to come up if I can. I, I never say, rarely, I mean, I don't like to say, God told me something, okay? I know that God told me a lot of things in here. I'm much more comfortable saying God told me something in here because he wrote it down for us. But for months, if you've been on our staff or elder team or, or what have you, um, you've heard me talk about this conversation, our small group too, my small group, because it's, it's been just so heavy on my heart. And when I pray for this church, when I, when I think of the future, and I, and I pray, Lord, what is next for this church? What is next for this congregation? What do you have here? It's continually looking back to this very conversation. And I do feel like I have a word from the Lord this morning for this church. Like that gorilla walking in that video, if you want to watch that, that is invisible if you're not paying attention. Friends, God is in this room. Like he's here, he's present right now. We're still very early in this new chapter here at the church as I've been praying for God to show up in a powerful way among us but perhaps he's already here. Walking in our midst, we know that it's true. And therefore, perhaps the secret for us as a church in this season is learning how to pray and how to see him. To see and to know his presence in a fresh and powerful way. That he is sitting next to us right now saying, I want to give all of myself to you, but you don't see me. I'm right next to you, but you don't see me. I'm with you now, and I've been walking in your midst, in your home, in your family, I'm in your house. I'm walking in your midst, and yet you don't see me. And if we take these words of Jesus seriously, that one of the most important aspects of our witness as a church is found in our love for one another. uh, When we open our eyes to see the fullness of of his glory, it's going to bleed out into this congregation of people. And as that happens, the flames of the gospel will be ignited into this church. And as we do so, it's going to go outside of this church. And maybe even one of you will experience a filling of the Spirit that you have not experienced in some time. Are you open to this, church? Are you open to this question, church? This may happen even this morning as we minister to each other, as we pray for each other. That right now there's someone in our church body who is suffering in sickness. I know many of you are are ministering in that capacity uh, in this church and that's it. Like that's the ministry I'm talking about all summer long. We're going to be continually exploring this very topic. I pray that we can say, like in Luke chapter 5, when people saw the works that was happening among them uh, from Jesus' presence, that says this in verse 26, amazement sees them all and they glorify God and we're filled with awe, saying we've seen extraordinary things. I want to see extraordinary things among us this summer. And as we close, we we have uh, prayer available. Um, after every service. But my prayer is that even now as we sing this final song that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you, encouraging you to go up and even pray for someone else in this room that he has placed on your heart to minister them or to come up and to be ministered to. As I do so, I encourage you, pray in love, ask God to speak to you to me, share his words with someone to encourage, to to convict, um, something personal for them that even in this very moment of prayer that you would just be the conduit of God's, uh, God's spirit for that person that would just lead in the sharing of yourself with others here in this room. So let me pray as we sing one last song and open up this time for ministry. Jesus, we love you. I pray that my fumbling about and in my lengthy sermon this morning, Lord, that something I said was, uh, was of you, and Lord, I can only ask that you would work mightily in this congregation, in this next chapter. Lord, I want to be, I want to feel like what it, what it would feel to, to be standing in front of you, Lord. And I know you're here. So Lord, make us aware of your presence. I don't, walk, I don't want you walking around invisible in this church. Lord, open our eyes. To see you, Lord, may our focus be off of whatever things that may be just totally distracting for us. And just may we see you walking in our midst, acting and moving and healing and restoring and loving. And may it draw us together as a church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: to trust his cleansing just in- Him. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh.